The sermon I shall share with you this morning was written by Reverend Ian Wildeboer, and he had this, and it's based on Easter. He held this sermon shortly after Easter, uh, this past Easter in April. I was going to read it, but I've been on standby by for a long time, and uh, this is my first opportunity to read it, and it's very applicable also for today. And he's chosen as his... Uh, as the reading, the first book of Peter, and the, uh, from chapter 5, the first five verses, and you'll find that on page 1394 in your pew Bible. The elders who are among you, I exhort... I, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you, be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The words of the Lord. And then we turn to John chapter 21, and we read the first 19 verses. And you'll find that on 1250 of your pew Bible. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. In this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we're going with you also. And they went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that, that it was the Lord, he put on his uh, outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, 
dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and the fish laid on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, "Uh, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread, gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, Do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, Son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, Today we briefly consider a post-resurrection story that in some ways seems out of place in the book of John. I say that because the Apostle John, in so many ways, seemed to close the book he has written in chapter 20. Some of of you may know how we ended chapter uh, 20. Verse 30 reads, Now Jesus did many other things in the presence of the disciples, excuse me, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Children and parents, do you want to have life? That's life without end with Jesus? John writes, you need to trust and believe in Jesus. There's an eternal life in his name. And all God's people say, yeah, amen. This is not only a profound statement. It's a beautiful way to end a book. It's a wise and timely epilogue for Christ's ministry on earth. Powerful and fitting is the finishing of the book, John, led by the Holy Spirit, 
but it doesn't end there. Which forces the question, why not? <clears throat> or why continue? Maybe for this reason. Because this extraordinary event, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, needs further evidence, more proof that Jesus truly did rise from the dead, so that we're given more eyewitness account. In our passage, we will meet Jesus on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, making breakfast for his disciples. The Son of God making breakfast. What a glorious moment for the disciples and something we might enjoy in glory. But there's another reason possibly even more compelling for not stopping at the end of chapter 20. And that's this. There's some unfinished business that needs to be dealt with. And that unfinished business concerns the disciple Simon Peter and his Lord and Master Jesus. Some of you may remember what Peter did before Jesus died. Peter had declared to Jesus on the night he was betrayed, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Read that in Matthew 26, verse 33. Don't worry, Jesus. He was saying, I got your back. Then just hours later, standing possibly 10 meters from Jesus, Peter said not just to one person, not just two people, but to three different people, I do not know the man. I do not know Jesus. He denied any relationship to Jesus, any. And he repudiated Jesus to the third degree. The rooster crowed, and he looked at Jesus' face, and Jesus turned and looked at him. Can you imagine what went through Peter's heart in that moment? He basically said, do with Jesus as you please. I do not know or care for him. But today is a new day. Today we see the gentle, forgiving heart of Jesus. Today we witness his goodness, and we learn what restoration looks like. And that's why we have chapter 21. But also today, we find ourselves faced with the same question that Peter is asked. It's a simple question, but indeed the question of the ages. Do you love me? Jesus asks. And put your name to it. Do you love me, Suzanne? Do you love me, John? Do you love me, Adrian? Do you love me? So the theme for this morning's sermon is the goodness of our risen Savior. And we will witness his goodness in three ways. He's a caregiver. He's a restorer. And he's a nurturer. First, we'll look at him being a caregiver. And as we open our passage, we meet Peter with the other disciples, now in Galilee, over 100 kilometers away from Jerusalem. They'd been told to go there and wait for Jesus. In Mark 16, verse 7, the angels had told the women, 
would come to the tomb to go tell his disciples he's going ahead of them into Galilee. Except they didn't say that. They said, go tell the disciples and Peter he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There's going to be a divine appointment. The stage is set. But they're waiting, while they were waiting for him there, it seems their former occupation became a draw for them. Even though they were, even though they were becoming fishers of men, they were still in their hearts fishermen. I read a bumper sticker online this week, and it read, work is for people who know how to, work is for people who don't know how to fish. And those who love to fish would probably agree. But Peter and his friends, fishing was their life. I'm going fishing, he states. A few other disciples said, we will join you. So they fished, but they caught nothing. And without notice, a man on the shore begins to yell at them. It was about a soccer field away. And he says, lads, have you caught any fish? The Greek has children, but it can be translated as lads, even guys, as it's a colloquial expression. No, they yelled back. Throw your net over the starboard side, the right side. Why they listened, we, don't know, we do not know. But they did what they were told. And as soon as the catch came in, John's mind, it seems, had a memory synapse and you may have recalled something that happened three years earlier when the same man, it seems, shared these words in Luke 5, verse 43. Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. When they did, they could barely bring in the catch. So without missing a beat, John leads over to Peter. It's the Lord. We read that in verse 7 of our text. Peter wasted no time. He wraps an outer garment around him, plunged himself into the cool water, and begins to swim. And you kids will say, hey, wait a minute. He put clothes on to jump into the lake? Yes. Typically, we remove our clothes to jump in to swim. Arguably, some remove too many clothes. And some of us have stories of people almost drowning because of the clothes they were wearing. But why add clothes then? We learn why. He was stripped for work. The word literally translated as naked. Probably he had a loincloth on around his waist like boxers. But he was not prepared to meet his Savior that way. If you even do a brief study on the word naked in the Bible, it's typically connected to shame and humiliation. Remember the fall into the sin? We read in Genesis 3, verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them, Adam and Eve, were opened after they fell into sin, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Peter would not meet his Savior unclothed. So drenched, he approached his Savior. 
who had prepared a charcoal fire and was cooking a fish. No sooner had Peter arrived than Jesus asked Peter to turn around and get more fish. Maybe because he was usurping his duty? Don't know. He turns back, helps pull in the net, and that the net was and the net was heavy. It was full of fish. And we learn how many as well. There were 153 large fish in total. As you can imagine, there was uh, there's been speculation about this number for centuries. St. Jerome argued that 153 fish represented the known fish species of that day. And Peter was to preach the gospel to every tribe and language and people and nation. This was represented in the diversity of the fish, laying the foundation for his apostolic ministry. Except that at that time, they had counted 157 species. So close, but not close enough. Others say the digits added up equal nine. Nine into 153 is 17. So how important is 17 in the Bible? Hmm, not really important. Some say, well, there are 10 commandments, and seven is a number of fullness. So that's why there was 153. That's a lot of speculation. The important point, John had attention to detail. And this was another eyewitness account of Jesus' power as the risen Savior, and more, that he was a caregiver. Because here's the point. Jesus cares. His goodness was running after Peter. Psalm 23, verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And Peter was about to experience what, had, had, uh, what, means, what that means. Sorry. Note well. There's a fire. Peter denied Jesus, warming himself by a fire. And now Peter will be restored, warming himself by another fire. His goodness was found in supplying the disciples with fish that they could sell to support their families. His goodness was seen in the meal he prepared because they were hungry. I wonder if you have experienced his goodness in your life of late. And can you talk about it? Because our Savior is a caregiver and he cares for you. But he's also a restorer. Then he turned to Peter. What happens next is both simple and profound at the same time. I want to begin by noticing what Jesus doesn't say to Peter. He doesn't say, Simon Peter, do you know how much you hurt me? Do you know how I felt when you totally denied our friendship? Even the point of saying you never knew me? Do you know how that cut into my soul, especially in the hour of need, I had no one to support me. Here's the truth you should never forget. Our Savior is so gracious. He knows how we ignore and deny Him. 
and he doesn't hurl our sins back into our faces. Psalm 103, verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgression from us. He's a gracious Savior. But he's every right to ask us, do you love me? Because listen, when you deny Jesus, when you're ashamed of him, and when you break faith with him, the bond of love is being severed. Hurt somebody like that with your uh, words and your actions. You're destroying the fabric of love that binds you to that person. Hate, you understand, has many faces. So Jesus asked, do you love me more than these? This may be the disciples as Peter had said. Even if they all fall away, I will not. Or it could be these things. His boat, his fish, his life as a fisherman. We will get back to that. But he does ask three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? The numbers more often attribute to Peter's denial because as we learn, he denied Jesus three times. So Jesus wants to reinstate him three times. But Jesus could also be raising something to the third degree. That's a Jewish way to stress the importance of something. Like the angels are singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Raising the holiness of God to the third degree. You see that in Isaiah 6, verse 3. Peter repudiated Jesus to the third degree. Now Jesus raises the bar. This is of the highest importance. Do you love me? And to what degree do you love me? Every time he asked, angst in Peter's heart grows. Finally, Peter says more. He says, you know all things. You know that I love you. Peter was depending on his omnipotence. omnipotence. Plus, please, Jesus, you know my heart. And the caregiver the restorer of souls, the one who has, healing, who has healing in his wings, gave Peter the space to affirm that love to the third degree. Loved ones, this question echoes down the corridor of time right to you this morning. He says to you this morning, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than you love your job? Do you love me more than your vices? Do you love me more than your bank account or your vacations? Do you love Jesus more than your own family? Do you love me more? Where do I stand with you? How would you answer that question? 1 John 4 verse 8 says, Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Do you love Jesus? Maybe you heard this story before about Adoniram Judson. He was a missionary to Burma or Myanmar in the 1800s. 
And he once said to a recent convert, possibly his first, who asked for baptism. He said, do you love Jesus enough to die for him tonight? The man was honest, and he said, no, I do not. I'm afraid to die. Then he said, you cannot be baptized. So the man went home. But he couldn't sleep. He tossed and turned. Nightmares consumed his mind. The doors of hell were opened to him, and he heard the cries of those who had gone down into the pit of despair. And he woke up in a cold sweat. He ran to Adirim, <clears throat> Judson, early in the morning. Knocking on the door, he pleaded with Adoniram to be baptized. And Adoniram agreed. They found a river nearby, and in early morning hours, he was baptized. Weeks later, this man was killed at the hands of his family because he left Buddhism to serve the risen Savior. Jesus. One's love for Jesus might cost you your life. Do you love me? Is the question of the ages. Do you truly, truly love me? Because Jesus truly loves you. And the Bible makes it clear he loved you first because he proved that love for you in the cross bearing, on the cross, bearing your shame and guilt of your sins, declaring you righteous by his death. Therefore, Jesus has every right to question all of you this morning, even individually, do you love me? And, and, and if you do, do not delay in your answer. For Jesus is a caregiver. He's also a restorer. And finally, he's a nurturer of souls. Next point is, he's a nurturer. Notice what he tells Peter to do. He begins, feed my lambs. Then he says, take care of my sheep. Finally, feed my sheep. Of all the things Peter could say to allow, of all the things Jesus could say to allow Peter to show his love for Jesus, like holy living, like prayer, living out the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. He says, take care of my sheep. Now, if you're new to the Bible, let me assure you that Jesus was not a farmer who was about to leave his flock of sheep in the hands of Peter. This is a metaphor. A quick lesson about this metaphor. The Bible compares us to sheep. Jesus is the shepherd his people sheep. We read this in John 10. But, you say, sheep are not the sharpest tools in the shed. It's true. Within the domesticated world of animals, they are up there as extremely vulnerable. Sheep without a shepherd are the most confused and pitiful of almost any domesticated animal. That's us. Jesus knows how desperate we are. He says, feed my sheep. Do you love me? You've been saved to serve me. But with what? Actually, he, he doesn't tell Peter how to feed them. 
But Peter knows how to care for Christ's sheep. He knows how to care for the lambs. We know this is true because at Pentecost, Peter begins his ministry as a shepherd and he preaches. In Acts 2, verse 37 to 38, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He fed Christ's sheep then, and he continued for the rest of his life preaching and teaching the full counsel of God. He loved God's sheep. I sometimes remind people that a pastor's heart is most clearly evidenced from the pulpit. How do you know if your pastors love, pastors love Jesus and loves you? He will carefully handle the word of truth. He will proclaim and teach the gospel of Jesus Christ every Sunday again and throughout the week. He will seek to live out the glory of the gospel in his life. Because in God's economy of salvation and nurturing, it starts, the starts of his sheep begins with preaching. From there it flows into pastoral visits, leadership meetings, and other things. But this is the primary importance. And I will say, those who preach the pure gospel will run counter to the message of the world. So Peter must be prepared. In verse 18 we read, Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. He was killed for his preaching. He hung upside down. He suffered and died for Jesus. And he may have said in his heart, last breath, Jesus, you're worth it, and I love you, my Lord. Let me remind you, loved ones, this Jesus reigns. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's good. He's the caregiver. He is the restorer, and he is a nurturer. And he says to Peter now, and he says to you this morning, follow me. If you love me, you will follow me. And, if you, and, if I, and I will use you wherever you are for the spreading of my name and for the care of my people. Amen.